Support for Think Humanities is brought to you by the Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing. Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 49 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. John David Miles is an attorney and has been in private practice in Shelbyville since the mid-90s. He is also an author and experienced architectural historian. As a member of the Kentucky Humanities Speakers Bureau, he is available to speak to you, uh, your group, your club, your church, on a variety of subjects, and he's here on the Think Humanities podcast to talk about uh, these subjects with us today. John David, uh, we were talking before we started recording about your interest in uh, architecture, in uh, history, uh, in some of the other work that you're doing now, in writing uh, as an author. Uh, Tell me where this began. I'm not sure where it began, but it may may go back to a situation in Shelbyville years ago. There was a delightful lady named Artemary Lee who moved a cabin from Nelson County up to Shelbyville to her backyard and proceeded to furnish it with everything she collected. And when somebody brought her something, she would say, oh, I've saved a soul. And she would have busloads of school children come through. And I was absolutely fascinated with that. And I think it sort of grew from there. Old houses lurking around the county that were unfortunately abandoned, were always fascinating to go explore and see what was happening. Were you also reading about them? Was there enough that you could find in the library that um, was fascinating to you? Well, I'm one of these people where the index to the encyclopedia was wasted. It was always much more fun to just sort of open the book and see where you landed. Uh, I really didn't do any careful study until probably years later. And uh, what did that lead you? Um, This was a youthful curiosity for a while, and then what? Well, uh, I went to school in Danville, and of course Danville is full of magnificent old houses, and that was fascinating as well. Uh, I've always been interested in them. Uh, One of my closest friends grew up in one of them, and I just loved it. then friends Lawrence and Cherry Gelsma bought one that belonged to Charles Stewart and Letitia Shelby Todd in Shelby County, and watching that process was fascinating. Uh, and you have one of your own. Yes. Tell me about that home. Well, uh, it was built in 1839 by a gentleman named John Dale. It's a very plain five-bay, two-story brick. Uh, sort of the last gasp of the federal with a big, few details that are going toward Greek revival. Uh, it, we bought it from the family that had owned the property since 1812, but the house had been a tenant house for 50 years before we got there, and the good news was that nothing had been done to it, and of course the bad news was that nothing had been done to it. So we restored it, restored it between 2002 and 2004. And you're, uh, of course, proud of the work, and it's a nice place to uh, to hang your hat each evening. Well, it's a lovely spot, and it is still in the middle of a 300-acre farm that belongs to the family who built it. Uh, 
And we've been very fortunate to receive recognition from the Adelie Willis Foundation and also Preservation Kentucky for our work. In fact, we were the first historic tax credit issued in Kentucky when they became available for residential uh, Mm -hmm. properties back in Governor Fletcher's administration. Hmm. So not that long ago. No, for many years you had to either be commercial or if you hoped to live in it, you had to rent it out for five years before you could, and that's still the federal law. But uh, Kentucky finally made the leap, and actually that occurred after we had completed the restoration, but I had worked with my friend the late Scott Walters at the Heritage Council all the way through the process, and they called up and said, would you like to submit an application? And I said, sure. Mm-hmm. And it was approved. And that was that allowed us to buy some more land around the house. And folks in Kentucky are still eligible uh, for that, uh, to, to apply for that? Um... Yes, as I understand it, the house, needs to, the house has to be on the National Register. And now that everything's in place, you submit your proposed plans to the Heritage Council and they approve it in advance. We just happened to have worked through that process informally before the law became effective. Well, for the Kentucky Humanities Speakers Bureau, uh, John David, you um, have two talks, um, and then if you'd like, we'll also discuss some of the other writing that you do and some of the other work that you're uh, presently doing. But uh, Walter Kaiser's uh, Neighborhood Sketches Revisited and uh, the Pope and La Trobe, uh, the Pope uh, Villa uh, in Lexington, a stone's throw from uh, this podcast studio and, uh, and building office house that we're in uh, today. So let's start there because uh, a lot of Central Kentucky uh, Lexingtonian uh, residents may or may not know if they uh, over the years have uh, seen a snippet of news here and there about the Pope Villa. Uh, Tell us about uh, what is uh, significant about it, its history, and uh, where it stands today. Well, it is significant because it is one of three surviving residential works of Benjamin Henry, Henry Latrobe, who was if not the first, considered to be the first professionally trained architect to be practicing in this country and worked with Jefferson on the Capitol in Washington and many other things. Uh, The house was built for Senator John Pope, which is how I actually got interested in it because there's a little road in Shelby County called Pope's Corner Road. And it turns out that the senator, who was actually from Bardstown, uh, practiced law at his at the first time in Shelby County and like everybody else at that time was buying and selling land and Pope's Corner was a survey point on Brashears Creek that land was measured from and that led me into further research about Pope and Latrobe and about that time the house became the property of the uh, Bluegrass Trust. It went through a number of iterations over the years. Uh, the Wolfolk family, I, if I remember correctly, made a very elegant but different Italianate house out of it. And then sometime along about 1900, it got porches on the front and became 
uh, for apartments. And toward the middle of the 20th century, those apartments were less high quality than they might have been before. And apparently it was even further divided and had many, many UK students living in it over the years. And the story goes that one of them got mad at his girlfriend who lived there and proceeded to light her closet on fire. I don't know whether that's apocryphal or not. Uh, but there was a fire. And the fire caused major damage, but it also exposed a number of the original facets of the house, particularly the rotunda, which is in the middle. Uh, the connection between Latrobe and that house had been made earlier uh, when Clay Lancaster was working, I believe, in the li Avery Library at Columbia and ran across the papers and connected the two houses. And it's very well covered in his book, uh, The Bible, or the Antebellum Houses, the Bluegrass, mm -hmm. and the prior one, or the later one, Antebellum Houses of Kentucky. Uh, after the fire, it became apparent that if something serious wasn't done quickly, it would be lost, and there was beginning to be more interest in Latrobe and his work. And the Bluegrass Trust was able to mount a campaign to purchase and uh, basically cover it at that point. Uh, back <clears throat> during the Clinton administration, when Hillary Clinton was uh, first lady and had the Save America's Treasures program across the country. Uh, they received a grant which allowed much of the work that's seen on the exterior to be done. Uh, it's still waiting for a purpose, and I think if it finds the right purpose, probably the funds to get it back in full order will materialize, but it's sort of sitting in limbo at this time. Your opinion on what you think should be done to the Pope Villa? Well, I think we actually ought to have a bulldozer come and clear out about three blocks around it so it became a villa in the outskirts of Lexington like it was built. Uh, on a realistic basis, uh, it is a fabulous building and it's one that needs to be experienced physically to be understood. Uh, and it is very different from most other Kentucky architecture of the period. Uh, Latrobe was very interested in separating the service areas and the service people from the owners and had a complete separate staircase and rooms at the back of the house that you did not have to go through in any way to be in the formal areas which were on the second floor. Uh, he referred to the central hall that we all know and love as the common sewer through which everything passed. <laughs> <laughs> and what, what era are we talking about? What, what, what are the dates on it? I believe 1815. Uh, was it, uh, what happened, uh, if you know, uh, in the decades uh, since it was built, let's just say during the, the the Civil War, for example, uh, was it a, uh, I'm sure that uh, the enslaved uh, were there on the property um, in, in their own quarters, kept it up. Well, what, what of the history can you tell us of that? 
I'm sorry to say I know very little of that. I believe the Woolfolks would have owned it at the time of the war, and it had already become much more traditional Italian at uh-huh. house. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think by that time it was getting a number more neighbors, one of which may be just right across the street from you, should have mm. been built by that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, it's now it now sits on a, an in-town city lot, yeah. and there are houses... 1900 era on all the lots around it so any evidence of the outbuildings is long gone now at the time at the time of the fire there was a big l out the back that was more apartment area but i think that was much much later Uh, uh, tell us uh, what you know of latrobe and uh, his other work and uh, how significant it was for him to uh, have been hired and uh, uh, involved in, in the Pope. Well, Latrobe was a fascinating character. He was from England, but was educated in Europe, on the continent, and came here and managed to, quick, in short order, meet Washington and Jefferson. Uh, probably his greatest completed building is the Catholic Cathedral in Baltimore, which has just undergone a major restoration and is an absolutely fabulous building. Uh, he also, his existing homes are Adena, which was built for the governor of Ohio in Chillicothe, which is probably the least changed of the buildings. It's a stone building, and it's just a beautiful building. It sits on a bluff overlooking a valley of some river, I know not the name. But if you go on the Great Seal of Ohio, it's supposed to be the view out of the back of Athena. And then the other house that is uh, Latrobe is the Decatur House on Jackson Square in Washington, uh, across from the White House, which for many years was the headquarters of the National Trust. Now, the first floor of that house has not been changed, but during the gilded age uh much of the woodwork in the second floor was changed but it is still a very very stark house by many thoughts uh and you'll see the same at the pope villa uh latrobe worked in a very plainer manner uh, and very reduced uh references to the greeks not a lot of frill in fact, a lot of the woodwork that survives in the uh, Pope Villa has gouge work that Latrobe probably would have had a fit over had he seen. Um, and he was not only an architect but an engineer. He One of his most famous activities was the Water Company in Philadelphia. And there's a group of Greek Revival buildings down on the river that were part of his engineering and architectural work to get the city water system developed there. Uh, He, like many architects, made great plans and some of them got built and some of them did not, Uh, but apparently had trouble getting his bills collected and he was always trying to figure out a way to make some money. And he was involved in trying to build steamships in Philadelphia Uh, He ultimately met his demise when he was in New Orleans working on the uh, water system there. And the story goes he would go out with the other workers into into the mud of the river 
and try to get the pipes laid because he had a contract he needed to complete, and he contracted malaria and mm-hmm. died, mm-hmm. which I think was 1825. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't have notes in front of me right now. Well, that's fine. <laughs> Uh, interesting uh, story. Uh, I'm uh, on the Think Humanities podcast today talking to John David Miles, uh, uh, who is uh, in our Speakers Bureau and uh, an expert uh, in uh, the uh, architecture uh, of our history. Uh, some of uh, in Kentucky, uh, we've talked about the uh, Pope Villa in Lexington and When we come back uh, after the break, uh, we'll talk about and answer the question, who is Walter H. Kaiser? After we hear from our good friends at Spalding University. Spalding University's low residency MFA in creative writing offers outstanding instruction in a supportive literary community. Study across genres, explore the interrelatedness of the arts, travel to Paris next summer, for short-term study abroad, or stay at Louisville's historic Brown Hotel during week-long residencies on campus. Study fiction, poetry, creative nonfiction, writing for children and young adults, and writing for TV, screen, and stage. Learn more at spalding.edu forward slash writing or email schoolofwriting at spalding.edu. All right, Mr. Miles, uh, a lawyer, but now uh, spending most of your time writing and researching and um, uh, lecturing and speaking to people about your passion and uh, interesting, uh, trying to interest people in uh, some of the important things in life, right? Uh, so uh, Walter H. Kaiser's Neighborhood Sketches Revisited. Tell, tell me about um, the, um, uh, the sort of the genesis of this book and uh, why it's important, why, why we should know who Walter Kaiser is. Well, the genesis of this book is a few newspaper clippings, old and brittle, that were kept in various files collected by a lady named Frances Cottingham in Shelbyville, who knew every old house around. And then in 2000, the Shelby County Historical Society published what became known as the New History of Shelby County, the prior one having been done by George Willis in 1922. At any rate, uh, Mary Jean Kinsman was the photographic editor of that book and had worked at the Filson for years in their collections. And she said, oh, we've got tons of Kaiser drawings down there. So we used several of them in that book, where, especially for things that were no longer extant. And then I sort of went back and went on to the bench for a while, etc. And when I got off, I started working on a book on Shelby County. And when I did, I found that there were a whole lot more of these things than I knew about. And I began tracing and found that the Filson had scrapbooks of about 175. And then I also took a class out at UofL to learn how to do InDesign, and then took another history class that was being given the same afternoon. And we ended up the Louisville Free Public with Joe Hardesty, who's now at the SAR library. And he said, oh, we've got a bunch of those drawings over in the drawer. And he goes over and pulls out a plat cabinet drawer that is stacked with the original drawings. And ultimately, those ended up at the Filson in its collection. 
But, uh, and then I almost had a heart attack because I got on WorldCat. I'm glad you didn't, by the way. And found reference to a book of Walter Kaiser's drawings in the and, library. And you mentioned you went on what again? WorldCat. And that is? If I'm, if I'm saying it correctly, yeah. it is a worldwide library site that tells you where you can find books all over the world. Uh-huh. Interesting. Yeah. And it cited this book in Bowling Green at the UK uh, Western Library. Uh Well, the next morning I drove to Bowling Green because I thought, well, you know, I have no reason for me to write a book if it's already been done. Well, I got down there and it turned out that it was not a book, uh, anything other than somebody there in the library, I guess over the years when these were published, had clipped and then copied and bound. But that allowed me to find out the end date of the run Mm -hmm. and know exactly what I was looking for. turns out that he did 404 of these drawings that got published. There's a number more that never got published. Uh, And he began in December of 1934 and ended in December of 1942 when he went to World War II. And he missed two weeks during the 1937 flood. Uh, otherwise, there was one of these every week. Hmm. Uh, and they are of historic buildings all over Kentucky from Smithland to Maysville. And then uh, he was from New Albany. There are se- several in New Albany uh, up the river in uh, Vive and Madison. Mm-hmm. Uh, he became charmed by both of those towns, which is easy to do. Uh, partly, I was compelled to write this because nobody had ever heard of him. He had done a great deal of work, what amounted to the first survey of historic buildings in Kentucky in the 30s, and had been long since forgotten by most people. And also, he had preserved a great deal of history uh, and preserved history about I think it's 150-some-odd of the buildings that he drew that are gone. Hmm. Uh, So there are a number of them for which his drawing is the only image available. And also, he was a reporter, not a a historian as such, which I should not criticize since I am not a trained one either. Uh, But he was writing what people told him, not doing any original research. So some of the stories beg a bit of incredulity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, what, I, what I started out to do was to track down all of these things once I had the full set and to photograph those that are still in existence and update the histories and, in some instances, correct things uh, with a very light touch, I would add. Uh, because I just thought it was a fascinating view of the Commonwealth of Kentucky, both as it was seen in the 30s, as these things stand today, and almost all of the buildings predate the war between the states. So it's a sense of what was out there across the Commonwealth at that time. How did he have the means, or did he cover the entire Commonwealth? No, he was, I have yet, I've written the book, I've looked at everything I can find, and I have not been able to figure out any method to his madness, except he started out in Louisville, which was where the paper was, 
and worked his way from there. But I think these things were very popular in their day. And I think he ended up getting, pick me, pick me, uh, from people who had homes that wanted him to come visit. Um, And as I say, there's no way of making any sense out of it. He drew a number of things in Washington County, a lot in Nelson County, uh, drew a number in Boyle County, drew a lot down in Stanford in Lincoln County, did not draw anything in Mercer County. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know whether somebody in Mercer County made him mad. <laughs> he had to go through. He had to pass sure. Dorcum and mm-hmm. Diamond Point and the Beaumont. and all. He had to go through there to go mm-hmm. to all these places. Uh, and, of course, the other thing is he was doing this before anybody thought about the interstate highway system. And some of the places he went, I'm not sure exactly how he got there back then, but he managed. What about, I'm just curious about other regions, what about uh, South Central or, or West or, or even North? Uh, he did not get to the Cincinnati area. He loved Maysville, uh, and he did Carrollton. Uh, he went as far west as Smithland and you know at the Cumberland River yes uh, and went down to Princeton okay that's pretty far uh, Columbia I think there's one what about in the uh, what about Barron Monroe Warren um, Barron is Glasgow he yes. did one in Glasgow what is what is the one in Glasgow my hometown well the one in your hometown belonged to my dear friend Sarah Scott Moore Waterfields parents and yes. family for years. And by the way, uh, John David is leafing through uh, the book uh, that, that has been published. Trying to find the third index, of which there are three. <laughs> and uh, the, the, the book is beautiful. It, it is a, uh, if you're familiar, if I use the word uh, uh, table size, um, uh, coffee table size uh, book, but the sketches are, are large and uh, you, you can see those uh, well. And he was, he was quite an artist, wasn't he? And did, is this all he sketched? No, he, he did a lot of covered bridges that are not in here. Several of those are at the Speed. <laughs> Hattie Bishop Speed apparently had a fascination, fascination uh-huh. with the covered bridges. Uh, the house in Glasgow is the Spotswood House, yeah. which... Uh, which the, uh, the hotel, the old hotel on the square, Spotswood Hotel, was, I'm sure that's the same family. That wasn't the, surely that wasn't the house. No, this is, this is a fabulous house that grew like Topsy. Uh, and suppose General Washington was involved on both sides of the Spotswood family, but I'm not sure they actually ever lived in the house, hmm. although that's what it's called. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the only one he did in Barron County, mm-hmm. and I forget what the question was before that. Well, well, uh, if he went went to so those uh, other uh, South Central is the way I grew up uh, geographically, knowing that that uh, was where I was from. Um, uh, a lot of people get that mixed up, um, thinking Bowling Green is Western Kentucky. Uh, we always wag our fingers there. Um, interesting. So. Uh, and, and of course, we don't know. You don't know how, how he ended up in in with one house in in Marin County and not somewhere else along the way. I, mean, he I suspect to... he got to that one because he did a number over in Greene County. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> and I suspect he got there because of the old stone courthouse uh-huh. and worked his way from there. Yeah. 
Um, Does he have family uh, still in the in Kentucky that you know well, of? Well, he or? never had family in Kentucky. He grew up in New Albany, and his family had been there all along. And he had one brother. He never married. He had one brother mm. who had one daughter, and she is still alive, yes. Mm. Hmm. But uh, sadly, did not know him well. So, what is? Um, I mean, I can see the fascination that you have had and still have uh, with with Kaiser. What is of interest today of his work? What What would you assume people might find interesting enough to to do what now? to travel and see what some of these structures are still standing? Well, that's certainly something that would be fun to do. I had a grand time traveling all over the state. Nothing I love better than going out someplace and finding something new, something new that's old. Uh, that's one thing. Uh, as I say, it, it is a wonderful snapshot of how these things were perceived almost 100 years ago now. Uh, it's also a an excellent resource for finding what's still out there and what's being cared for. Uh, and sadly, as I said, there are almost 150 of the original drawings which the buildings no longer survive. And that's a great record of things that otherwise are basically lost forever. Mm -hmm. uh, and from an architectural standpoint, it's fascinating to see how things changed uh, from the time they were built to the time he got there to the time of today. Well on Hill. Uh, mm -hmm. Well, it is fascinating and interesting. It and, is to and, me, and of course, I just love Flemish bond bricks, so anything old like that, I'm fascinated yeah. with. But. Well, John David, as we uh, as we uh, round the corner here, headed for home, tell me a little bit more about uh, the, the other work that you're doing now. I asked you a minute ago because uh, the first time your background is is in law, and you were practicing, and you uh, held office for a while, uh, um, sat on the bench, uh, but now you're doing mostly writing. Tell me about that. Well, when I got off the bench, I wasn't actually expecting to leave, but. <laughs> these things happen, and was sort of at loose ends of exactly what I was going to do from that point. And I knew one thing I wanted to do was to get the book on Shelby County written, because I had had the files and been collecting material for years, and the lady I spoke of earlier, Frances Cottingham, had given me all of her files, knowing that I'd ultimately get around to doing it. So that's when I began, and it sort of has grown from there. After that, uh, one of my fraternity brothers and his wife, who were both center classmates, asked me to do a history of the Beaumont Inn and its predecessor, Daughters, Daughters College, and before that, the uh, spa that was on the site. And that was great fun. Uh, after that, I tackled Kaiser. And after Kaiser, I was asked by other friends in Louisville to do a book on a fabulous plantation up in northern Virginia near Winchester, uh, which dates from the 1830s. So that's just come back from the printer, and I'm now working on a book on Nevin and Morgan, who were uh, classical architects in Louisville in the first, well, from 1920 to 1970. 
So, What did they design that we would know of? Well, probably the most noted building that they designed is the Pendennis Club in Louisville. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they designed a slew of churches. Uh, They designed a number of fabulous houses, including the Boone Porter Estate out on Brownsboro Road, uh, a house for the Dabneys up on the Louisville Country Club, which looks like it had been set down from Virginia Plantation Mm -hmm. on the hill, Uh, and a lot of things around the... Mockingbird Valley area. I was just in Louisville uh, and saw for the first time Memorial Auditorium. That's a Carrara and Hastings building, although I think Mr. Carrara was already dead by the time they did it, but it's so fabulous on the inside, but has been so troubled on the inside for years. Uh, It's uh, struggling, but they they hope uh, to replace the air conditioning and heat. It's such a, it's beautiful. Uh, with, with well, so the, much the, what I think is the best house in Louisville is Rostrevor, which was designed by Carrara and Hastings for Mr. Todd. Now, now, tell me about that one because I'm not familiar with that one. Well, if you know where the Presbyterian Seminary now is mm-hmm. on Alta Vista, before you go the round the curve and down the hill, if you go back up the other hill in the in the middle of the subdivision, is a fabulous house that was built. 1910 or 12, I think. Uh, stone, designed by Carrara and Hastings. Uh, two-story. Uh, the front of it has a recessed porch with a Palladian window frame that becomes the frontispiece of the house. Uh, the back is very symmetrical. Open opening onto a terrace, which I'm sure in its first life looked down to the park, and then out the uh, side, the west side, I suppose, uh, there's this beautiful loggia that looks out uh, onto what was a garden and pool, and at the Speed Museum, there's a marvelous armillary sphere that was done by Paul Manship that used to be in the garden. At one stage of the game, the house was owned by Helen Recton Combs, and when she was married to the judge. Uh-huh. And the judge needed some place to park his car rather than over in the wing where the chauffeurs park the Todd's. <laughs> so they widened the gap, the arch in the loggia, and he used to park under there. <laughs> uh, is it in private hands today? It is. Yeah. Well. And beautifully, it's a magnificent house. Mm-hmm. It really is. So that's the fascination with uh, that maybe we should all have or that you find uh, interesting and others would too if they just uh, explored a little bit and um, became uh, interested in what might be next door or down the street from them. There are lots of things tucked away in corners. John David Miles uh, from Shelbyville uh, and a member of our Kentucky Humanities Speakers Bureau, thank you very much. Thank you. It is a pleasure, and I appreciate all your good work. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 49 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.